0: As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Well, thank you for joining us for another edition of Your Financial Mission. Walter Storholtz here alongside Janine Theus, the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, financial commander here on the show, serving you in Columbia and throughout Howard County. You can find us online by going to TheusWealthAdvisors.com. Janine, thanks for joining us this week. How are you?
1: Thank you, Walter. It's great to be here.
0: Ready to get that knee sliced open?
1: (laughs) Yes, I am. I have reached critical mass. It's time for a new knee.
0: Most people are probably going, oh, you shouldn't talk like that. Someone's probably very nervous about this. Look, Janine's a tough cookie. You're ready for this, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I am so ready. You know, as I told the doctors, it's biomechanics 101. You know, when one part starts to go, everything else gets affected. (laughs) And that's just, you know, it's normal for everyone. But boy, when it happens to you, it's very tiring. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Yes. Uh, living, just want it to be over.
0: <laughs> living with pain, and I'm sure our pain, Janine, doesn't compare to the pain that a lot of people live with, but still, I think we can speak from experience with you know, broken ankles and ankle surgeries and ACL injuries and meniscus tears and all oh, these yeah. kinds of things. I mean, yeah. it is no fun that time leading up to the surgery, and then it's really no fun after the surgery trying to rehab either. So it can be very distracting. It can really take your mind off of things. I know that you're ready to Get it healed so you can stop thinking about it. That was my big thing when I went through the different surgeries is it was just always on your mind. Every time you went to go do something, you had to be thinking about the pain that it's going to cause or the discomfort or the big question of can I even do it?
1: Oh, yeah. And it stops you at a certain point. You just don't do what you would normally do because the pain's there. So, you know, you're definitely anxious to – you don't want to go through the surgery pain, of course, but that's pretty temporary. You know, it's just the first few days. You just – yeah. <laughs> feeling right. pretty crappy.
0: Yeah. But and and you get some medicines to help with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, but beyond that, it's like, okay, I want to get back to normal, I want to get back to normal, yeah. which is actually a normal condition for most people is I just want to get back to normal. Right. So
0: Well, you mentioned something too that I think there's a financial parallel to it, as we always strive to make financial parallels here on your financial mission of, you know, just sort of the cascading effect that you experience where, okay, this is wrong with the knee and now I'm starting to feel it in my hip. And I once had a personal trainer who actually works with a lot of athletes. I was working out with him and we were talking about my knee as I was kind of going through the rehab and he was able to identify, kind of trace back and show me exactly why my knee and the ACL gave out. And he said it was all because of your original ankle injury. You never rehabbed properly. It got back to where you could go and do whatever you wanted to do. But he showed me the lack of flexibility in my right ankle compared to my left ankle. And I'd never even thought about it, but it was dramatic how there was much less flexibility. And he said, you never properly, you know, fully rehabbed the ankle back into sports shape. I mean, you got it back into where you can live everyday life shape, but it didn't go back into sports shape like your left ankle is able to do. And so when you planted on that leg, you didn't have as much give in the ankle. And so that shock wave, that pressure, move right up to the knee. And then that's what absorbed and took all of the weight and the extra torque and everything. He said, if you don't rehab the knee and you don't get your flexibility back in your ankle and you keep going and playing crazy sports, your hip will be the next thing to go. And then it'll be your back and it's just gonna keep moving up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that in a lot of cases and because I've never had an issue with ankles and knees before or hips, I've had back issues. But what I've noticed is when you do throw that whole mechanism off, which is a transference mechanism, your redistribution of weight especially even when you walk that starts to affect all your other joints it's really fascinating and i mean you're talking about ankle flexibility my mother has never had very flexible ankles and she did run for a while but she didn't start until she was in her 40s but she's had both hips replaced now of course she's 82 but part of the reason we used to joke she was walking like a penguin is because her ankles were (laughs) were so absolutely inflexible so you're not absorbing the pounding of even walking, and it just goes right up your leg to the hips.
0: Yeah,
1: so, it's a fascinating cause and effect.
0: Just like with your, you know, physical health, your financial health is the same way. If one thing is off in your portfolio, it can have a cascading effect as well, right, Janine?
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> That'll be a little we're going to d- talk about that. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about that a little bit on today's show. We're going to, in a couple of minutes, talk about some of the important terms that you need to know when it comes to finances and to retirement. Things like in-service distribution. You've probably heard that term before, but do you really know what it means? What about ETFs? A financial product. What does it stand for? What is an ETF? Have you heard about ETFs from your advisor? Risk aversion. What does true diversification look like? We're going to kind of dive into some of these important terms. Some of them you might know, but might not have a great grasp on. Others you might not have heard of before. So we'll dive into that as well. But first, like we always like to do here on your financial mission, it's time to see what's happening in the news. The extra, extra. Read all about it. All right. In this week's news headline, Analysis, Janine. We saw this not too long ago from Amazon. They recently announced that they were going to consider getting into the pharmaceutical delivery business. They deliver everything else. Why not pharmaceuticals, I guess? Just that announcement alone caused the stock price of several other pharmacy related companies to drop substantially. And so I'm curious, as you kind of look at this macro thing that's going on with Amazon and this big pharmaceutical industry, is that a sign of one company starting to hold too much power in our economy when they can have that kind of effect?
1: Yeah, it actually does. So the news came out back in June that Amazon had announced this program that essentially franchises its last mile deliveries. And I don't know if folks are aware, but it bought a popular online pharmacy, PillPack, So it looks like they're unrelated deals. But what's happening is you're seeing two developments come together to make dealing with a pharmacy as easy as, you know, thumbing your phone. You can order it on Amazon. And so they'll deliver your amoxicillin along with your tissues and all natural cough drops and, you know, your organic chicken. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, a lot of people, it's a pain to go pick up your drugs or whatever you need at the pharmacy. And so what's interesting is, Every time a company does this, and Amazon is a big dog, the other companies start to try to compete, but they're kind of behind the eight ball on it. So CVS took a step in this direction, and they started next day home delivery of prescriptions, but they'll charge $4.99. And it might be a little too late because Amazon is going to charge you, you know, your prime membership is $99 or $119 annually. And they're offering the same-day delivery service. So it's going to affect these other companies in that they're going to have to adjust to the new paradigm. And so, yeah, that's a major issue for a lot of these companies. So it sounds
0: like the competition is a healthy thing for the consumer, but also... It seems like there's this balance of healthy competition and, you know, the goodness of capitalism that that can bring in terms of advancement and kind of pushing the envelope, but also a little scary that one company holds that much power. It's always that balance to – it's an interesting thing to watch.
1: Well, and there's a couple of other things that you don't normally think about. There's a privacy issue because now Alexa is involved. You can tell Alexa (laughs) – if you have that smart speaker, to remind you to take your medicine or refill your prescription. So Amazon now has access to sensitive health information. And so everybody's a little bit curious as how they're going to handle all that data. The other thing that's happening is its decision to essentially franchise that so-called last mile delivery gives it an advantage over other competitors because what it's creating is a program under which anyone with $10,000 can launch a business delivering Amazon Prime packages. So they're just creating ways to get greater control over the last leg of the packaging trip.
0: I've noticed, Um, interestingly, that you mentioned that more and more deliveries are coming at odd hours. And just by like people in a van or a truck or a regular car, it seems like just... Out of nowhere, this van just the other day backed down the driveway at like 7 p.m. and, you know, dropped a package on the porch and headed out. And it was kind of like, whoa, who was that? What was that? What, what's going on?
1: <laughs> oh, it's an Amazon well, package. <laughs> you know, that's a little bit scary because you don't know who these people are. And, you know, there's not a UPS on the truck or a FedEx on the truck. So you're wondering. And Amazon has exploded. There are huge IT infrastructure and supply chain and understanding of logistics and ability to quickly scale puts it in a unique position to fundamentally shake up the healthcare environment. And so people are getting very used to, you know, not just next day delivery, but same day delivery, which you can do with food. They're already doing that with food. Oh, yeah. And I mean, my daughter in Austin will just click, 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 click. And if she can't get to the store, Amazon's delivery. If you order more than $25 worth, somebody's delivering your groceries to the door. So... I don't know how they're vetting these people, which I think is back to your earlier comment. How do you know that the person delivering the goods is is a good person? But yeah, yeah, I do think that healthcare is changing and healthcare delivery is changing. And it's going to be something we have to just keep an eye on for the next couple years to see where this actually goes and what the competition does.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. Well, it'll be interesting to watch and we will certainly keep our eyes on it. Thank you for the analysis there, Janine. That's a little bit of what's happening. In the news. All right, Janine, let's move on to some of these important topics that we need to know when it comes to financial planning. Again, you might have heard of some of these before, but we want you to make sure you have a better understanding of what they mean, just in case your understanding is not complete, or this may be your first exposure to these concepts and ideas. So, there's this one I think that's important to bring up, Janine, that's called in service distribution. How many people usually, percentage-wise, maybe if you want to take a stab at it, know what that is? How often is it coming up in your meetings with folks? And what do we really need to know about in-service distribution?
1: Most people do not know. I would say less than 5% of the folks that come in or folks I talk with understand that they have the ability to do what's called an in-service distribution from a 401k or 403 plan. And it always does go back to what the plan administrators or what the plan documents say typically you can't do it until you're at least 59 and a half sometimes it's 62 but what the in service distribution allows you to do is to move money directly from the custodian where your 401k 403bs are held to an ira so why would you do that maybe the choices that you have at work are not very good and you want a better portfolio or you want someone else to manage the portfolio for you so Those are some of the bigger options, or the more important options, I should say. You want a more diversified portfolio, properly allocated, where you can set it and forget it, and for somebody else to manage it for you. Those usually, if they're done correctly, are more advantageous to the client, because there are a lot of costs inside mutual funds that are on these different platforms, and there are things that people just don't see because they're not required to be reported. So the in-service distribution allows you to move the money. So folks are not often aware that they can do that, that that is an option. But again, there's usually an age limit, obviously a time limit in terms of how long you've been there, when you can do it. But you have to look at the plan documents.
0: That's a great point. In-service distribution, again, the term to know. And it's an important one, I think. That one, maybe more than the rest of these, really checks the box of ones that folks don't even realize exists or is an option. This other one I bet people have heard of before, Janine, but maybe they don't have a great grasp of it. That would be a Roth conversion. What do we mean by a Roth conversion and why is that important for most folks?
1: Well, a Roth conversion is simply moving money out of a pre-tax environment. So that's a 401k, 403b or IRA and moving it into a never tax or after tax situation. So the basic proponent is once you move money from a pre-tax environment to an after tax, you will pay taxes on the money that is converted. So if I have, let's just say for round numbers, $100,000 in an IRA and I want to convert to a Roth let's say I convert $20,000 and I move it to a Roth, I'm going to pay some taxes, ordinary income taxes on the $20,000 that I convert to a Roth. Why would you want to do that? Because at some point, Uncle Sam comes looking for the tax. So either you're gonna pay it now or you're going to pay it at 70 and a half when you must take distributions from all these qualified plants. A Roth does not require a minimum distribution. So there might be a reason to move money to never tax for later in life, for legacy purposes. There are any number of reasons to do it so that you can offset taxes or your Social Security being more taxable. So there's some strategies to do that. Because there are income limitations on Roth contributions, doing a conversion might be a good way to move the money into a never tax situation. So that's essentially the Roth conversion. People just need to remember that they're going to pay taxes on the amount of money they convert over.
0: For some people, it's going to make sense. For others, it might not. But that conversation about doing a Roth conversion should be one that happens with your financial advisor, right?
1: Right, right. Because I just had this recently where someone had an after-tax IRA. So we had to drill down to discover exactly what it is she thought she had and what the custodian said she had. Two different things because we were thinking, okay, we can do a Roth conversion of the after tax IRA, but we couldn't do it because the custodian said, oh no, this is an IRA. (laughs) It's not after tax money. But the confusion came in that once you have income, they just assumed it was after tax because the tax had already been taken out of the income. So then they stuck it into an IRA. So it's not really an after tax IRA. So there is a lot of confusion with terminology.
0: Especially when it comes to IRAs because you have Mm -hmm. simple IRAs, legacy IRAs, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other IRA modifiers I'm not thinking of. And some of them are actual things. Others are just... Kind of a descriptor, and then some are just slang. So there's yeah, exactly. <laughs> all these different verbages out there that you can use, attaching it to an IRA. So anyway, Roth conversion—a good conversation worth having with your financial advisor to make sure you've got a good grasp on that and make sure it's a good fit for your situation. All right, I've heard this one a lot, Janine, over the last several years. ETFs. ETFs seems like it's the newest thing. You've got stocks, mutual funds, and now ETFs have kind of risen to be that third term you might mention in the same breath with stocks and mutual funds.
1: Yeah. And so what's funny, it's not funny, but ETFs often get confused with EFT. So ETF is exchange traded fund, whereas EFT is an electronic funds transfer. They're Ah, two completely separate things, (laughs) but people do mix those up, the term. It's it's not potato patata. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the ETF is essentially a section or sector of the market. So it might be a a section of the S&P 5 index that forms an ETF. So you're trading a part of the S&P 5 as a stock. So you have multiple stocks within this ETF exchange traded fund that trades like a stock. Originally, those were developed for institutional managers To use, And then everybody on Wall Street said, hey, we should make these available to individuals. So there are any number of ETFs out there. They are relatively low cost. The problem is, is people then start trading entire sections of the market like a stock because they do the same thing with an ETF that they might do with a stock. And if you don't have a plan for that, then you're going to end up being in the same position where you're chasing a return. Not only that, Wall Street itself has put out, I think it was a couple years ago, there were 123 ETFs that were just killed off because people weren't investing in them and they weren't doing that well at the time. So you have to be very careful which ones you choose.
0: Just like with any stock or mutual fund, you've got to be careful.
1: Right. And it really is, how are you going to employ this into the overall strategy of investment? Typically, people just say, well, ETFs are cheap. Yeah. Okay. They are. (laughs) Expense ratios are cheap. There's still some management within them, but you have to have a solid plan in how to use them with the portfolio, and that's what's really important.
0: So that's ETFs, not to be confused with EFTs or EBTs or any other <laughs> E-something.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: All right. This one's been in the news a lot, Janine. I don't know if people paid attention to it or not when it was kind of hitting, I think, fever pitch back a couple of months ago and maybe even a little bit last year. But kind of a funny word, fiduciary or fiduciary, as I've heard some in the South say it. <laughs> That's I'm, the deep South. <laughs> I'm uh, Yeah, de- it was. It was deep South. But that fiduciary rule. What is fiduciary? I know it's extremely important that your financial advisor be a fiduciary. But I bet so few people really know what that word means and why it's so important.
1: Well, the long story short is a fiduciary has the client's best interest first and acts accordingly. And so how do you explain that to people? By law, brokers at brokerage firms, insurance agents, and those who work at banks are not fiduciaries they work for the house. So a fiduciary is someone who is a registered investment advisor or an investment advisor representative who comes under an RIA that is a fiduciary by the legal definition. So for instance, we are fiduciaries. I have an RIA and so legally I'm a fiduciary. So you must act accordingly. You have to put the client's best interest first. So that's very important As we'll talk at a later date on the amount of fraud and scams and things that happen, you don't want to be sold something because somebody's going to get a higher commission on it. And that's against the fiduciary rule. There has to be not just a suitability action, but there has to be the best interest of. And the know your client rule has to apply.
0: So make sure that you have an advisor who's beholden to that standard of making sure that they're making decisions in your best interest. Now, that's not to blanketly say, Janine, that any advisor who doesn't have to abide by the fiduciary rule, they could still personally choose to do so, but... To be on on the safe side, work with somebody who (laughs) they must, they have to make decisions that are in your best interest and not just, it's good enough for you. You don't want to have to meet that standard. You want to be higher than that. Risk is a big part of the conversation when it comes to financial and retirement planning. There's this term you might hear on financial radio shows, talking heads may say this. You may even have an advisor ask you, are you risk averse? and risk aversion is an important topic to think about, important term to know. I think a lot of people though sit in the chair Janine and like uh, okay, I think I know what that means. They don't want to ask for clarification. Uh, but a lot of people don't really have a grasp of what it means and then I know you're going to tell us about how a lot of people they know what it means but then their actions aren't matching what they know.
1: Exactly. So risk aversion is obviously a shying away from specific risk, but a lot of people don't understand what risk really is, especially when it comes to investing. So everybody wants that higher return. But when you explain that there is a compensatory risk involved with the higher return, if you're going down this road, this road, or this road, is that the risk you want to take? And so risk aversion is someone who comes in and says, I don't want to lose any money. I'm afraid of the market. I don't want to go there. But on the other hand, we'll ask you which stocks to invest in because there is that drive to make the quick buck or to make the high return. So there's a disconnect sometimes with what people say and what they actually do. Risk aversion is I am afraid of risk, kind of like I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> so you wouldn't necessarily hang out on the strut of an airplane you know, <laughs> right. and, and, and go parachuting. But yeah, the risk aversion thing is important to know what your real risk is when it comes to investing and then other money decisions. Because if you don't understand that, then you will take risks for which you are not compensated. And that's one of the things we try to educate folks on and avoid because it doesn't pay you to be risky in some circumstances.
0: You're talking about the airplane and all I'm picturing is that Mission Impossible Movie, The one where Tom Cruise runs alongside the airplane at the beginning of the movie and jumps onto the wing and then hangs onto the door as it starts to lift off and <laughs> yes. flying through the air. They're still trying to open the door and then they accidentally open the cargo door out of the back or, you know, and it's... Uh, That was one (laughs) of the coolest movie scenes, though, to open up a movie. Like, that was pretty intense. But that feeling that they were able to accomplish when that plane starts to lift off and you see it getting smaller and smaller in the background, the way he's just flapping around in the wind. it gets sick to your stomach of like, oh, my gosh, they did that so well.
1: (laughs) And, you know, that's a great analogy because some people actually feel that way about the market because there's so many unknowns. So part of the way around this is education. How does the market actually work? What are realistic expectations versus what risk am I taking is very important to understand so that you can control the risk aversion because a complete risk aversion is I'm not going to put any money in the market, which means essentially if you live 30 years, you're going to go broke safely. There has to be an understanding of the risks.
0: Yeah. That's one term to throw in there as well, isn't it? Going broke safely. That's kind of an oxymoron, (laughs) I guess, but it's so true. (laughs) All right, last but not least, the silver bullet of financial health, I think for a long time, has been the buzzword diversification. It's been the thing that people cling to a lot. Well, you just need to be diversified, and then you're good. Diversification, the most important thing. You have to be diversified. The problem is everybody's got a different definition of what diversification is, right?
1: Oh, yes, and what's really interesting is someone who will say – I don't wanna put all my money in the same place. I don't wanna move all my money over here and I'm gonna leave money all these other places. To which I reply, you're in the market. Regardless of where you are, you're in the market. So what is the diversification? That you're in different places? Because that's not really diversification. Typically, when I see that, they're in the same things in different places. So a 2008, which is not likely in the next however many years, but." That's why so many people got hurt in 2008, because they were in the same things. So you have a tremendous amount of overlap. Diversification is an actual asset class diversification. Small, large, value, growth, both small and large, both international and U.S., microcap, emerging markets. You have specific asset classes that are integrated in a portfolio so that you are capturing all the returns that are available to capture. Where this really matters is when you begin to take income distributions because we know the S&P 5 is going to have a long-term rate of return of 10, but that's over many years. All those other asset classes have returns too and can sometimes outperform or underperform. What you want is the maximum amount of capture of returns so that no one asset class takes you down. That diversification is so important as you're growing, but certainly as you are in distribution mode. And if you don't have it, that's where most people fail in their planning.
0: Yeah. Having a bunch of mutual funds doesn't necessarily mean you're diversified. One of the common misconceptions of the financial world. So it's an important term, no doubt about it, right? It's just not the end all be all, especially if our definitions aren't matching up.
1: That's right. And so explaining how the market actually works, what the research is, and what diversification really truly is, and what an integrated portfolio is supposed to do for you, compared to what you're doing with just picking a bunch of mutual funds and then trying to figure out which one to sell or to take money from, or et cetera, is not as effective or efficient as having an integrated, properly diversified, globally diversified portfolio.
0: Yep good points. Well, there you go. Some important financial terms to know in service distribution, Roth conversions, ETFs, fiduciaries, risk aversion, and diversification. And I encourage you to think about those terms, talk about them with an advisor and about your financial situation. Talk about them with Janine, if you'd be comfortable coming in and having a conversation with Janine here in Columbia, Howard County area. She's got an office where you can come in and have that kind of conversation about your financial plan. I want to also tell you about how you can get a hold of Janine's Retirement Rescue Toolkit. Great resource that a lot of people have tapped into. It's got audio CD, DVDs in there, packed with a book that Janine's co written, other reports and goodies in there as well. It's a great starting point if you're thinking about retiring somewhere in the near future, or if you're just kind of beginning this planning process. This toolkit gives you a lot of those essential starting points to know about when it comes to retirement. So pick up your own Retirement Rescue Toolkit. Just click in the link in the description of today's episode and it'll take you to the show notes where you can find the link to the toolkit there on the show notes or you can just do it on the website directly theuswealthadvisors.com that's theuswealthadvisors.com and as always if you like the old-fashioned way you can call Janine at 443-718-6311 that's 443-718-6311 Janine, thanks for being with us on the show today. As always, good luck with the knee surgery, and hopefully you have a very quick recovery. And I know we'll be talking to you again soon right back here on the podcast.
1: All right. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.
0: Talk to you soon. That's Janine Theus, the host and CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, joining us here on Your Financial Mission. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon.